Hi, and welcome to session seven. Um, I just wanted to drop a quick little note before the official session begins because there were some sound lags in the recording of this podcast, and yet it was such a great session about body image um, and the ways that we sneak up on body acceptance and body neutrality and even just enjoying our bodies, and I didn't want to let it go. So hopefully it's not annoying for you. Hopefully you're able to, you know, get the full gist of the session. Um, yeah, apologies in advance. Hi, everyone. I'm Dr. Jillian Murphy, a naturopath, speaker, educator, and coach, and this is Food Freedom Body Love, a podcast I put together to help you make peace with food, body image, and weight so you can kick your all-consuming, exhausting weight control food obsession habits and start living your best, healthiest life. Hey, this is Jill. And before I get into the next session, I just want to say thank you for tuning in. We have more people than ever tuning into the podcast and these sessions, hearing these important stories and how we work through them. And so just a huge thank you to to every single one of you that's here. And I want to ask three things of you. First and second, can you please go to iTunes and rate and review the show? It really does make such a huge difference. And three... Could you please pick a favorite episode and share it? Share it on Instagram, share it on Facebook, or just email it to a friend. Uh, We want to get this information into as many hands as possible, and it really will, again, make all the difference. If you do share on social media, be sure to tag me on Instagram at Food Freedom Body Love and on Facebook at Jillian Murphy ND. In this episode, I'm speaking with a woman who's done an incredible job of getting off of the diet restriction binge roller coaster. She has worked her way to a place of relative ease and peace with food and really with her body on a certain level. And yet she's gained weight. She's been exposed to external judgments about her body, both before and after the weight gain, and she's struggling to enjoy her body, to get truly, deeply okay with her body, regardless of the external judgments that might be placed upon it. And it's interesting because in this conversation, we go down a path of discussing dressing a body that's changed shape and size. And we use that really tangible tool or example to talk about the process of making peace with our bodies um, wherever they land when we're in a sustainable, flexible, pleasurable place. And after the session, I always follow up with people after we have a conversation just to sort of recap and get feedback. And one of the worries for this woman was that she might come across as sounding like all she cares about is how she looks. And I think it's really poignant and interesting that she brought that up because I think that as we do this work, it is a fear or it can become a fear that if we're really doing the work, we won't ever care about how we look. And for most people, that's not entirely true or realistic. And the worry that we're vacuous or not feminist or not body positive enough if we still care about beauty ideals is a tricky spot to find ourselves in because the coding when it comes to bodies and beauties 
beauty is so incredibly deep and it is very challenging, if not impossible, for most people to go from an entire life of buying into body and beauty ideals to completely opting out. Like that is just way too big of a step and um, for some people is never fully accessible. And if we understand that this work is about increasing our flexibility of thinking, our ability to be more open-minded as to what's beautiful and, and appropriate for bodies, if this is a process of increasing flexibility, then we can use a flexibility analogy, right? If we think about a hamstring, if we're trying to increase the flexibility in a hamstring, you don't just take a cold, tight hamstring and then, you know, stretch it to a max that it's never been to before. It would rip. And so, you know, sometimes I think the expression fake it to you make it gets used, but I don't, in this case, I don't really think that working on how we look or how we dress as our body shifts is faking it till you make it. I think it's like easing yourself through the process. It's like um, enjoying the body you're in, in whatever way you can, whatever way is accessible to you so that you can re reach an even deeper level of enjoyment. It's enjoying to enjoy, not faking it till you make it. <laughs> it's enjoying your way to deeper enjoyment with fewer parameters and fewer you know, trying to meet fewer external ideals. So um, I, I just think that that's a really interesting part of this conversation is talking about not only doing the work to shift how we see ourselves and how we manage ourselves internally, but also um, externally and how we can take baby steps along the way to enjoy our bodies and feel more comfortable in our bodies as we become more flexible and more open-minded. Um, yeah. Yeah. So anyway, here's the conversation. Enjoy. I have always been a thinner bodied person um, throughout my 20s. I'm um, in my 30s now and I never had an issue with my weight and um, having kids obviously changed that quite a bit. Um, after having my first daughter, uh, my body didn't actually change that much. It actually looked pretty similar to before. Um, but after having my son, my body was um, a lot different, like just softer, rounder. Um, it didn't respond to, you know, dieting anymore. And mm -hmm. um, that's when my body confidence really sank. I um, had been dieting probably, I don't know, 10 years on and off, you know, how the binge restrict cycle. Mm -hmm. And uh, I was really tired of it. I didn't feel good. I felt miserable. Um, I was constantly stuck in that cycle of restricting and depriving myself and then, you know, like secretly binging on food. And my body is the type of body that it gains weight. It didn't, it didn't really lose weight. It just, every time I binge, it would just gain more. And so I was just stuck in this really self-loathing cycle of restricting and dieting and uh, totally miserable. And so after my second child, I um, met with a personal trainer who at the beginning, when I met her with her, I told her like, this is what I want. I want to lose weight. I want to have my confidence back. And she was amazing. She never actually even addressed my weight. We never, she never weighed me. She never um, commented on my body. She 
I was only two months postpartum. And so she was very concerned about making sure I didn't have um, diastasis and that my pelvic floor function was good. And it was very, everything was very holistic. It, she never talked about my weight. It was, it was actually amazing. Mm-hmm. And moving through that, she, um, she had recommended Jesse Mandel's podcast to me, actually. And through that sort of grapevine, I discovered intuitive eating. And I read the intuitive eating book and I listened to Christy Harrison podcast. And I, it really made sense to me. I was like, wow, I really, I don't have to do this with food. Like it, it makes sense to be intuitive with it. And around a year ago, I started, I got my, my partner on board actually. And I said, this is what I want to do. Like, I don't want to diet anymore. I don't want to talk about dieting. I don't want to restrict. I just want to have a healthy relationship with food. And it took a while. Um, I know through the first couple of months, it was a roller coaster of like sort of just eating everything. Mm-hmm. And I think your body just, just needs to do that. And um, I think probably this year, it's been about a year, I've noticed I have, my relationship with food has been really good. I noticed that I actually pay attention to things that I don't like or that I like. Um, and that I can pay attention to when I'm full when food doesn't make me feel good. Um, I, it's actually interesting because I remember binging a lot and really feeling crappy. Like you, like I remember feeling so yeah. tired and full and sick. And now if I'm eating a food that I would binge on previously, I'm now thinking, I'm like, man, this food really doesn't make me feel good. Mm-hmm. Like I mm-hmm. don't want to eat this for another reason completely. Yeah, you're finding that place of discernment with food. That's right. Yeah, and it's really it's quite eye opening, and I um, I've really noticed that recently in in terms of my food. I'm like, wow, I feel like finally those little those little connections are happening. Awesome. In my brain. Yeah, and um, yeah, I think that's that's mainly where I'm at with food. And since not restricting, I have gained weight, which is which is fine. I haven't really. I mean, it's fine and it's not. I look at myself and I feel like I look a lot different. Um, my weight is heavier than it's been pregnancy or um, otherwise. Mm-hmm. And it's, I think it's just hard. It's hard to look at myself and, and see what I think I look different, a lot different than I used to. Yeah. Yeah, I understand that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And um, yeah, I don't really know how to navigate that. I struggle with seeing pictures of myself or, um, catching a glimpse of myself. And that's where, and that's sort of where you are at the moment. Like that's the, that's the biggest that's most the sort biggest of pressing issue. Yeah. And, and I don't want to go back. I don't want to, I right. absolutely don't want to go back to dieting or trying to lose weight, even though sometimes you get those little thoughts in your head, like, Oh, what if you just, you know, exercise a little bit more than usual. And I don't want to go down that road. That's, that's, um, you know, that's going how backwards. do you how do you remind yourself of that when those little thoughts pop up oh it's hard I I just remind myself that I it doesn't make it didn't make me happy being thin yeah like I don't remember being happier mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that's big that's a really big realization and one that not everyone has so I you know I just want to say first of all like in hearing this this is pretty amazing. Like what you've managed to navigate your way through to date and the place and the point that you've gotten yourself to is really amazing. And what you're finding 
you can correct me if I'm getting this wrong here, mm-hmm. is that there's just this last little layer of Absolutely. sort of self-acceptance. Yeah. I, yeah. I feel like it's um, like I'm just on the verge, like I'm almost there. <laughs> like right. this is the last thing that will really like help me. So close. So yeah. close. And this is, yeah. you know, it's the last thing. It's It's the last tool to get into your into yeah. your toolbox, right? Yeah. Because um, it, it's not something that's going to, you're going to like find the answer and then it's going to be all good forever. What yeah, you're going to do is we're going to work on on pulling together some tools for you to help with this, just like the that little reminder that you have of yourself, for mm-hmm. yourself, when you start to get pulled back into diet mentality thoughts. You're like, oh, that didn't make me happy though. Yeah. I was never happy. You know, and you have that, uh, that tool to work yourself out of it. That's what we need to do here. I have a couple of just quick, like, clarification clarification questions. Um, so I just wanted to clarify the timeline a little bit. So you'd never had sort of an issue with weight. You'd never been dieting. No. Um, and then you said it was after your second baby, right. That shifted. And is that when the dieting and then the binging started? Was it after baby number two or was it before? No, it was before. Um, I think I've always binged. I've just been thinner and binged because, um, probably, I don't know, I'd say like, you know, in your 20s when you're out drinking and partying and and you kind of do whatever you want and you don't notice that you're gaining weight. And then I noticed that I was gaining weight probably in my mid-20s and that's sort of when the dieting started. And I remember um, being on a diet and then being starving and then just binging on all the food and that was just a perpetual cycle. And I, even after the birth of my second daughter, um, I was I had really bad postpartum anxiety and I lost a ton of weight. I was... I was way thinner than I was before pregnancy and I was in a terrible headspace and people commented on me all the time. They said, Oh, you look so good. Um, right. Your body, like you, you bounced right back. And I was so miserable. And I didn't say that all I kept thinking in my head was, Oh, I did something right. Like I'm thin now, but I continued to binge and then I continued to gain weight. And then I was at the same weight pre-pregnancy a couple of months later. Yeah. And so there's a couple of interesting things in here. So first the diet cycle was actually going on for a lot longer, but the differentiating factor or the, where the line kind of got drawn in the sand for you was when your body stopped behaving and responding. And so that's interesting to note because it's also easy for people to look back on their history and like glamorize or romanticize when they were thinner and Mm -hmm. forget that there was actually this very painful cycle playing out the whole time. It just wasn't visible from the outside. So they could, they could hide it. Absolutely. And so it plays into that, that realization of yours that just because you were thinner at an earlier stage of your life doesn't necessarily mean you were happier. No, absolutely not. And I don't remember being happy. I remember being so guilty about binging and like hiding food and throwing it away so people wouldn't see and, and then just being like self-loathing about it. Right. 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 Yeah. So there's, I, I, I think that that's really interesting, important to like note and be aware of as we move forward. Um, yeah. And then just the way that the story changes when our body decides to kind of fight back. Right. And how, and how it's so easy to start to, to start to, or to blame our bodies for what's happening without realizing that what's happening with our body, not always, but often is triggered by, or, 
being amplified by how we're feeding ourselves and 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 or not feeding ourselves and depriving yeah. ourselves, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So the one other thing I wanted to ask about was that you said that when you you sort of found intuitive eating, you decided to have a conversation with your partner, like, okay, mm-hmm. we're going to do things differently. And this is something that I think a lot of people really struggle with, like how I have been, you know, dieting my whole life or my whole relationship. I've been in a control model, my whole relationship. My partner believes in the control model. He yeah. or she is fully bought in. Now I've yeah. decided I need to change for yeah. my own overall mental, physical, emotional well-being. Yeah. But partner doesn't always necessarily want to come along for the ride. So that just really stood out to me. And I wondered if you could just tell me a little bit about like how you approached that conversation and how your partner heard it or took it on. Um, like what did that look like? Well, it's interesting because um, after listening to Christy Harrison's podcast, I really started to change my thoughts about what my internalized fat phobia, like what did I think of larger bodies? And um, my partner was making a comment about some coworker he had that um, was large and he was, he was playing it off. Like he was, he didn't agree with it and he, he thought it was, um, really unhealthy. And I started to ask him like, why do you, why are you thinking about his body that way? Like what, like what is wrong? What is actually wrong with his body that makes you say that about him? And then we had this whole conversation about larger bodies and, and what we actually think about them. And then I told him, I said, I've been listening to this podcast and, um, she talks about intuitive eating and I really, I've really connected with it. And I'm like, and he's never really been a dieter. He's always been thin. So he, he was like, all right, whatever, if you want to do that, that's fine. I'm going to support you. Um, and I noticed even he still has little bits of like, as he's getting older and his body changes, he has little bits of insecurities about stuff and, um, talks about doing a diet or, or anything like that. And I'm just like, well, remember why, remember why we are, we eat intuitively and, and why restriction doesn't work. And it's funny because he, he really isn't, uh, he's very interested. He's always like, oh, you're right. You're right. Um, he's like, yeah, you know, it's right. It doesn't work. Dieting doesn't work and restriction, restriction doesn't work. And so he's really, um, I mean, he's, he's pretty amazing in that way. Mm -hmm. Really, Really interested in it. Yeah, that's great. And so he had a little bit of the experience of like, oh, this doesn't work for my body and my body's shifting and I'm not necessarily doing anything so wildly different or out of control and yet my body's shifting. And so there's something here. There's some truth. And, and the curiosity I think is such an important piece of it. And yeah, I really, that's, that's really incredible because it's very, very challenging. It's hard enough Mm-hmm. to start to make this shift, as I'm sure you're well aware, yeah. into a trust model when you're living with someone or partnered with someone who doesn't yeah. trust. It's, yeah. it's an extra added layer of challenge, right? Yeah, I am really thankful that yeah. it hasn't been a fight. So circling back to body, um, I just want you to tell me a little bit about what you've done to date to start to feel more at ease or more comfortable in your body um, or to become more accepting of your body? Um, that one's hard. I think one of my main concern issues is that um, I don't really know how to dress my body. Um, and not that that's, 
I know that's an issue for all women we struggle with, but having a different shaped body than I used to, I am obviously much more self-conscious. Um, I more, I more or less want to hide certain parts of my body that I'm self-conscious about. And so that used to be something that I used to, it used to be self-care for me as I go shopping and I would get an outfit and I would feel good in it. But it's been a long time since that has happened for me. And obviously right now with everything going on, it's not possible to go into a store, but, um, that was one really big thing. Um, something that I think I can do, I do right now is I exercise and I don't exercise now for any reason to lose weight. Um, I mostly exercise because it actually helps me be more patient with my children. Um, it gives me, um, some time to myself and I, I come out of it with like that endorphin feeling and I feel more relaxed in my body and I feel strong and I feel good about it. Those are, that's probably the main thing that I do right now. Mm -hmm. To feel good in your body the way it currently is. Yeah. To move it and be thankful that I'm moving it and being thankful that it's strong and able to do all these things. That's, that's the main thing I think that keeps me, um, from really getting negative about myself. So exercise is the main sort of positive motivating, Mm -hmm. you know, force when it comes Mm -hmm. to feeling good in your body. You mentioned that, um, sometimes having a hard time dressing your body, it sounds like can trigger you into feeling bad in your body. Are there other moments, people, experiences, situations that pull you into feeling bad about your body at the moment? Yeah. If I, yeah, if I see a picture of myself, it's really bad. (laughs) Yeah. I will, I'll delete it. Um, like if James takes a picture of me with the kids and I, I want him to do that stuff because it's, um, like I want the kids to have those images and those memories, but it's so difficult for me to look at them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Anything else? Pictures are a big one. Dressing yeah. is a big one. Um, I don't get them so much anymore. And I think it's cause I have kids, but I used to get lots of comments on my body. Um, I think it stems back from being thin and people always commenting on my thin body and being like, Oh, you look so good. And then having gaining weight and then having people comment on your weight gain um, was really triggering for me. (laughs) Obviously it is for a lot of people. Um, And a big trigger actually was when I was pregnant with my second son. Um, I had a different um, provider than I did with my daughter And he made a comment, I was about 20 weeks pregnant and I was, I was really actually upset because I was going in for my, um, to find out like about the anatomy scan and, um, everything. And he was measuring my belly and he looks at me and he says, have you always had a problem with your weight? And I kind of was caught off guard. And so I said, not until I had kids. And he started to talk about how. I should be able to lose weight while I was pregnant. Essentially, he said, you shouldn't be gaining any weight so that the baby would gain and I would essentially be losing. And I left that appointment. I went home and cried because, of Mm. course, now I'm like, now I have to gain no weight and I'm pregnant. And I was totally embarrassed and caught off guard. Um, And I remember going in for every appointment after and just being totally uncomfortable. And I should have changed providers at that point, but I didn't. and I remember that being a huge trigger for me because that was the first time a doctor had ever talked to me about my weight before. Mm-hmm. And of course, coming from a position of um, like a healthcare person, you, and you're, you believe them, right? You're like, oh, maybe I shouldn't be gaining weight or, um, you know, maybe I am too big. 
And yeah, that, that really played into my head a lot after I had my son. Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. Sorry that happened. <laughs> That's okay. I'm, I feel really angry about it now, which I, I feel better about being angry than being guilty about it. Uh-huh. Um, so I just know now I'm, I'm glad he's not my primary care provider. So mm-hmm. I absolutely. Have, I don't have to deal with him. Yeah. Shaking those things off are so hard. It was so hard. Yeah. I remember talking and I remember even, um, I think at about 30 weeks I was diagnosed with gestational diabetes and I know that just like cemented in for him that I needed to lose weight. And even after when I had my um, postpartum checkup, he's like, you know, you should really, you know, work on losing weight because that increases your risk of diabetes. And I was just like, of course, of course he's going to say that. Yeah. And it, and it also leads me into, you know, the conversation that we're going to have in a little bit when it comes to like the pictures and the, you know, I often say, you know, one of the biggest questions that I get people to ask themselves when they're judging the way that their body looks from the outside, when they're looking at a picture and hating on it, when they are trying on clothing and the clothing doesn't fit them the right way and they blame themselves, Mm -hmm. not the clothes, you know, one of the biggest questions is always who says, who, yeah. who, who has defined this? And then it's particularly challenging when there is a professional that's been in the background as someone who says. Yeah, absolutely. You get that voice in your head. Because <laughs> really what I'm trying to push women to see when we ask the yeah. question, who says, is the cultural storyline that currently exists and yeah. how, it, how it defines bodies, specifically female bodies, Again, I know that that's changing, but like there's been increased pressure on women um, about how they should look and what they should weigh and what the shape should be. And, and, you know, there's a million other things that get layered on top of that. But what I'm really pushing them to do is see the cultural storyline. And the cultural storyline is existing within the medical community in a very strong and well-documented way, right? In Mm -hmm. the same way that it exists in the business sector and in fashion, you know, sometimes in an even more insidious and persistent way in the medical community. And yet somehow it makes it harder to, because there's the power dynamic, because Mm -hmm. there's, we we want and need to have some faith in our healthcare providers. Um, It's harder to to sometimes see the cultural storyline. It's harder to ask the question and be able to see that the way that we're feeling is a result of forces acting on us that aren't necessarily true, right? Yeah. They're just a story. But again, it's it's just harder. It, it it adds a layer to the challenge. Absolutely, absolutely. I remember thinking after, like, he's he's th- he was a thin doctor in middle age, and I remember thinking, like, of course he's going to say that. He's a man. It's so easy. Like, it's obviously easy for him. Like, he probably right. doesn't have to work to be that size. Right. And what to me, what it brings up is all of the storylines about like the stories that you were trying to get your husband to identify when he talked about that man at work. Yeah. That's like what I need you to go through. Right. It's like, what have I done that's so wildly different than potentially what this other human being who's been thin his whole life has done? Right. And one of the storylines is that most people don't take into account the enormous effect of genetics on our weight over the course of our lifetime. Right. And so that doctor might eat fairly well and he might exercise. And because he does those things that line up with the cultural storyline about thinness, he's able to congratulate himself or convince himself 
that he has earned his thinness. Absolutely, yeah. And the story, right, and the story is that you haven't earned, or you have earned your body, and you've earned it in all the wrong ways, right? (laughs) Yeah. Because, and I'm just pulling apart the storyline. I'm not saying any of this is true, right? No, I hear you. That if we pull this apart, essentially the storyline is, you know, he has earned his thinness in some way, and you have earned your fatness in some way. And what the cultural storyline tends to be is that it's people who, you know, are lazy. We know the storyline here, right? Who are unmotivated, who aren't smart enough, who don't have enough willpower, who don't try hard enough, who haven't explored all the options, who don't exercise, who only eat bad food, who overeat. And the reality is when we look at the, when we look at the research and we look at the numbers, um, that is very often not the case for people yeah. who have more fat on their body. Yeah, and I think that's a driving force behind why I feel self-conscious because I I think people think those things about me. Mm-hmm. Like I think maybe they think that I eat terribly or I don't exercise or you let yourself go. Is that I mean I feel like that's a common female like oh that she had babies and she let herself go not she had babies and her body transformed or (laughs) or um she's been working her butt off to control her body for the past two decades of her life and all of a sudden her body's not not participating anymore right like where's the where's the recognition um of the fact that dieting has played a huge role in this for you because the other thing that we definitely know plays into weight beyond genetics is this restriction binge eating cycle. Yes, yes. And I think, I honestly believe that's where my weight gain came from. And not to say that I wouldn't be the size regardless. I just know that every time I would go through that cycle, I would gain weight. And that's just how my body responded. Right. Mm -hmm. And so, I mean, where you're finding yourself, I believe, is that I sort of have this, I'm kind of doing it, but I'll just, the image is just holding up two hands, right? These two Mm -hmm. palms up. And in one palm, there is this beautiful, transformative experience with food where you're actually starting to find some peace Mm -hmm. and some freedom with food. And to a certain extent, some peace and freedom with your body. We haven't really yeah. talked about what's happened with your your weight currently. But, yeah. but what I do know is that typically when we start to find a place of peace and freedom with food, deeply and genuinely, our bodies settle down and they start to find a place that, that they, you know, they can relax into. The body finds a place to sit and to nestle. And it's quite um, easy to keep the body in that place without a lot of effort. I think that's where I'm at now. I, I know um, since the last time I bought clothes that my, my I still fit those clothes. And right. that was a while ago. And so I know that I, my body is happy. It's happy here. <laughs> right. So it, this, this is where it wants to be. Yeah, which is amazing, right? So this is one yeah. palm. And this palm is all the possibility. It's all of the positive aspects of this work. It's the potential and the future and the this is amazing. And then the other palm, which exists at the same time, is your body's transformed and it's it's more degrees away from the cultural ideal than it was before mm-hmm. and you're noticing the loss of some of the social privilege that your your body carried before mm-hmm. yeah and you're feeling some of the judgment external and internal yeah because it is real right yeah. 
the fact that some people might judge you is a very real thing to pretend that it that it isn't would be ridiculous. Absolutely. Yeah, I agree. There are definitely people who, you know, have seen me after not seeing me for 10 years or something and would say that I let myself go. And the same mm -hmm. could be true for you, right? Yeah. Yes. And so it's this, it's this ongoing, it's like, how do we manage these two very different opposing feelings and states that are existing within you at the same time. Yes. It's fighting itself. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and we, and we toggle in between the two. Right. Yeah. And I would say that typically the first kind of iteration of this is that, um, it's almost like the first step is just starting to, for, the first step is just starting to experience some of the positive effects of this work. And like I said earlier, it's really incredible that you've gotten yourself as far along this track as you have on your own. Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> experiencing like, like really being able to ease into trust is yeah. so incredibly challenging and there can be years of work for people. Yeah. I believe like that. It, tons yeah. of work. Um, and there can be, barriers to shifting into a trust model that someone just, I mean, that's what my work is, right? It's helping people who can't even find, who can't see the barriers within themselves to settling into a trust model. And so that's like the first iteration. It's almost like um, the way I sort of describe it is just like feeling really good in yourself and in your own home. Yes. <laughs> and then the second iteration is like when we move back out into the regular world. Oh, I can relate to that. Yes. <laughs> Like that's literally how I feel. <laughs> right. So it's like, oh, I'm home. I'm in my own home yeah. or I'm with my people or yeah. I'm in these comfortable spaces and I can just totally feel that ease. And then you move into the external exterior world and all of a sudden that other, that other, you know, palm full of experience is, is up in your face or you see a photo, yeah. you know, and the reality is that you know, you feel really good in your body and you've learned to associate feeling good in your body with looking a certain way, whether you're consciously aware of that or not. Yes, that's true. That's very true. So you expect that when you see a photo, it's going to reflect us the way you feel. Absolutely. And yeah. we haven't been taught to associate many kinds of bodies with feeling good. You know, yes. one of the biggest... One of the biggest things that that women will say when they start to move into this work, one of the biggest objections they have to doing this work is that um, they could never be happy or feel good in their body with it at the weight that it's at. Yes. They don't understand that it's like an inside out job, right? Mm -hmm. So how do we do this? So how do we start to move you from um, only feeling good in certain situations or certain moments or experiencing the joy of the benefits of this work at certain points and start to bleed it into more of your life and more of the time without being contingent upon place and space and people. Yes, absolutely. I notice that a lot. Like I'll be like exactly like you say, you're comfortable in your own home. I'll wear whatever I want. I'm not concerned about how my body looks. And then it will go to a gathering and I will be so conscious about the clothes that I pick to make sure my body looks a certain way and I'll still go there and feel like garbage about how I look. And yeah. that's the last thing I want to do. I want to go and I want to enjoy my friends and be relaxed and not have this voice in my head telling me this lie. 
Yeah, well, let's start with that because I think that that's a really tangible example. And Mm -hmm. for me, there's like baby steps and there's different iterations along the way. And I think it can feel really easy um, or we can start to put the pressure on ourselves to feel like we should be able to just jump to feeling good without having to care at all about beauty and body ideals in any way, shape or form, you know, like, uh, like you've had some success with this. So now how do I get all the way there? And I actually think that for some people, there are steps along the way. And one of the steps that I've noticed is, um, your body's transformed. And instead of just letting go of how it looks altogether, having to actually like, I'm like trying to figure out how I want to say this so that it makes sense you sometimes have to do a little bit of the work from the outside in as well. Like you are clearly doing the work from the inside out. You're regulating your relationship with food. The mere fact that you've been able to do that means that you are shifting the way that you view weight and your body and other people's bodies. Cause you wouldn't be able to do it if you hadn't. Yes. Um, You know, our dis our body dissatisfaction and, and internalized fat phobia and judgments around weight you know, those are the things that keep us locked into a battle with food. So the mere fact that you've been able to ease up with food means that things are shifting for you. So you're doing the internal work. There's no doubt about it. Sometimes I think that we need to have this like baby step, (laughs) which is like the external inward. And I think it's kind of frowned upon because it's a little bit of like, but aren't you a feminist? And don't you know (laughs) that beauty doesn't matter? And, you know, stop buying into the beauty machine. And I do think that it's true. I think that, you know, a big part of this work is like pulling apart cultural beauty ideals and standards and picking it all apart and disassembling it all. But then I do think that there's also a piece of it for some people, not all people, where they need to and want to invite some of the things that work for them back in. Yeah, I can agree with that. I definitely I definitely want to portray how I feel on the inside on the outside. And mm-hmm. I like I like clothes. I like to do my makeup and I like to do my hair. That just for me, that makes me feel good. And Right. Right. And, and there's I, nothing wrong with that. As long as yeah. all of your self-worth and all of your value is not wrapped up in how you look. Absolutely. And if, to a certain extent, doing some of this external work helps you mm-hmm. move toward a place of greater acceptance in your body, mm-hmm. then we're shifting in the right direction. Okay. So, so a personal example for me is that when I first made this decision, when I let go of restriction, I did put weight on and I actually worked with like a stylist. I worked with someone to help me figure out what to wear. Cause my body was just different. Yeah. Like there's just also the reality that like, whether you're judging good, bad, right, wrong, when your body is different, it's different. And there's an adjustment that needs to happen. And so you know, if we take away the layers of judgment, I was just adjusting to a different body and, you know, hiring someone to help me find clothes and buy clothes. And again, this is, you know, increasingly difficult for, for women in bigger and bigger bodies. And I don't mm-hmm. deny that, but I was, I, I did have options. I did have choices and she helped me find clothes that were quote unquote flattering, or okay. I felt I looked good in. Right. Mm-hmm. And that helped me with this transition into the external world. And then the better I felt in my new body, the more accepting I became of my new body. And for me, there was this like 
positive feedback loop that started to happen. And very slowly, I just became more and more and more accepting of my body until I got to the point where I could start making decisions about how I wanted to dress that wasn't, you know, necessarily about flattering or not. It was just like what I felt great in. That makes so much sense to me. And sometimes what I felt great in is the thing that was quite culturally acceptable. And sometimes the things I felt great in were just the things that really felt good on my body. Yeah, I, I can totally relate to that because I know that I've, I've done that to myself before where I've worn something that I feel really good and I'll leave the house and I, I know that I, I'm happy. Like, and not to say that that's what's defining it. I just, I just am portraying what I feel on the inside, on the outside. And I'm yeah, not thinking helps. about it. To me, it's like a, it's a step. It's a step along the way. And for some people, it's far enough. That's, that's as far, you know, they're, if they can find a peaceful place with food and their body, and then they, they feel like they can dress a certain way to feel amazing and move in the external world, that's great. For me, I really loved that extra step of like, I don't have to always be flattering or always working toward the cultural ideal or pretending that I'm closer to the cultural ideal. I really mm -hmm. liked that extra step of getting to the place where I was like, if I want to wear a round neck Jersey dress, that's not considered mm -hmm. good for my apple shaped body. I don't care because <laughs> it feels great <laughs> on my body. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> but that, that's maybe not accessible for everyone, or maybe it's accessible 10 years down the road. And what's wrong with um, doing the thing you need to do, as long as you're not sacrificing yourself for it, right? As yeah. long as you're not doing things where you have to treat yourself badly or spend more money than you have or force yourself into something that is physically feeling terrible on you. Like as long as there's this, you know, Naomi Wolf writes about this in The Beauty Myth, as long as there's this playful, you know, aspect to dressing and feeling good, from the outside in, as long as it's not defining all of your worth and value in the world. It's just a, a, a piece of the expression of who you are as a human. Yeah. I see that with like on like my Instagram and I follow plus size women and larger bodied women. And I always think they look so good. Like they're showing their whole body off and they look so happy and they don't care. And I'm like, why can't I feel that way? Okay. Well, well, one thing, one of the things that's going to be really helpful in this baby step toward um, existing more peacefully and excitedly and happily in your body in the outside world is actually picking a couple of those women that you really relate to deeply. Mm -hmm. I call them expanders. It's not my word. It's Lacey Phillips does interesting work and expanders are basically it's very difficult to work towards something if you've never had an image of it. Yeah. And we, and we do have so few images of women in plus size bodies in different shaped bodies. Yeah. Who also care, like care and enjoy being stylish. If that's something that's important to them and are able yeah. to indulge in that and have fun with that and play with that and let it be again, a piece of the expression of who they are. Yeah. Um, and so if you can find someone or two or three women who do that for you, they become expanders. They provide the images for you to follow or to replicate. Okay. That makes sense. And they're incredibly helpful. Those women are incredibly helpful and powerful when you're in stuck, tough moments, when you can't hold that energy for yourself. Yeah. They can, they can create 
the shift for you or hold the energy for you, right? So you have those women on your Instagram. So to me, that's all about exposure, right? It's being exposed to different ideas of what beauty can be. And this baby step is modeling yourself a little bit after them, right? Being like, like, oh, you've done this. I'm going to follow in your footsteps. And then, like I said, you know, it's not for everyone, but I do like to hold, you know, hold up that there is an extra step in this where you start to step into your own version of what beauty and um, feeling good in your body is. And you're defining it even more for yourself. Yeah. I think that's what I missed because I remember um, when before kids and I would, I loved clothes. I was always really stylish. And I think after having kids, you just, you, you wear the same thing because you're breastfeeding, you're constantly getting spit up on, you don't spend money on nice clothes at that time. And my kids are getting older and I'm starting to be able to, and my body has, has stabilized. This is not gaining weight. It's not losing weight. And now I'm like, I want to have clothes that fit this body now that I can feel, remember feeling good in because I loved dressing up and feeling nice and I don't have clothes that do that for me anymore. Right. And again, and just identifying as well that they're, they're, you know, for some women, it's almost impossible to even find clothes that fit. And that's a real issue. Um, And it's a privilege to be able to access clothes that are stylish that fit us, right? Like that in and of itself is still holding on to a vestige of social privilege in this scenario, right? And so it can be so easy to like feel so sad and so grief stricken (laughs) about the social privilege that we lose while forgetting like, oh, I'm still, I'm still benefiting from some of this, you know? Absolutely. And I'm sort of at that size where I don't quite fit into straight sizes anymore and I don't quite fit into plus sizes. And so I'm like, I'm towing this line of shopping in both sections and Um, I am, I'm confused. Like I literally, that's exactly the way I feel when I go shopping. I just feel confused. And when you talk about maybe like hiring somebody to help you, I think that might be something I could try. Yeah. And thinking about the fact that like, there are lots of different bodies that exist in the world and the fashion industry really doesn't cater to them. And so you might find that you do have to shop in a couple of different stores to find clothes that you enjoy. You might have to tailor or like fix some clothes in order for them to fit your body. Like I have, Mm -hmm. um, same thing. I'm trying to order jeans online right now. I need some new jeans for the spring and I ordered a couple pairs and I'm telling you, I'm like an apple. So there's a really good chance that these jeans are not going to fit me properly when they Mm -hmm. show up, you know, and, and there's often times where to get something that fits my midsection, I have to buy it quite a bit bigger than I, than I fit through the hips and the legs. And, you know, I, I no longer think of that as like this proof that my body's all wrong. It's just proof that the fashion industry doesn't cater to my body. Yes, that's true. So just constantly reframing, um, you know, when we understand that you are doing something that is actually so healthy for yourself on all levels by eating intuitively, you move your body, um, you are at a place where you can honestly say to yourself, I am taking care of myself Mm -hmm. and my body is resting in its happy place where it wants to be. Then what we need to do is for sure, we're talking about the external side of things like mm-hmm. dressing self and, and playing with fashion and finding style and things that feel good. But the ongoing internal work is continuing to remind yourself that it's not your body's fault when the clothes don't fit right. Yeah, 
and I'm not defining my worth by whether. Right. By whether or not you have to like go to a couple stores or get something taken in or buy a size up and fix it, you know, Mm -hmm. like, um, as we do the external work and you're able to have more fun in your body and enjoy life in your body in the outside world, we need to just keep doing the internal work, which you've already been doing, which is again, asking the question, who says that my body's wrong? Why do I feel like my body's the problem when I can't find jeans that fit? Why do I feel like that image of a body that I see in the photo is so bad? Where does that come from? Mm-hmm. Like if you are feeding yourself well, which it sounds like you are, you're eating intuitively, you've healed your relationship or you are healing your relationship with food. Mm-hmm. Your body has found a happy, stable place. Who gets to decide that your body, the way it looks right now, in the photo is wrong. Yeah, that's hard. It's a really hard question. And that is the work because most people, most women will say to me, well, I don't know. I don't know how to, to accept the body that I'm in, whether they're at the beginning of this work or the middle of the work or near the end of the work, right. In terms of like healing up their relationship with food and normalizing it and all of that. And the reality is that most people haven't really tried yeah, they spent I, yeah. years, decades trying to change their body, mm-hmm. but have they necessarily done the work, put in the time, put in the effort to accept their body? And the reality is that for the most part, no, because we've never been taught it. It's usually something yeah. brand new. Um, yes. But just to remind yourself of that, like I'm taking this baby step, I'm, I'm, working from the outside in, I'm going to start finding clothes that I feel good in and pulling my appearance together so that I feel good in the world, but also continuing the internal work because that's the marathon. That's Mm -hmm. the, that's the body image work that's going to go on and on is like, okay, I live in a world that is judging my body and that might make comments about my weight or my shape. I might go into the doctor and have someone say something to me. I might go uh, I don't know, mummy group or fitness class or wherever and have somebody make a comment about my body or bodies that look like mine mm-hmm. and make insinuations. And so how do, how do you continue to and move forward in a world where those things are true while staying most loyal to what's best for you? I, yeah, I think that's another big trigger is if um, I'm in a group of people and they're all talking about a diet or the shape of somebody's body. Um, And I don't participate, but I don't also say anything because I'm not a very confrontational person. And I just end up feeling really uncomfortable. And I know I leave those, those things thinking like, well, they haven't, they don't understand yet. They haven't, they don't understand what dieting is or like what they're doing to themselves. Those are the things I say to myself, but I still find them very triggering when I hear people talk about diets and, and bodies. Yeah. And that's, to me, there's, again, it's, it's part of that, um, those layers or those iterations of healing that mm-hmm. the more deeply, um, the more deeply you believe in what you're doing and you're, the more deeply comfortable you are with the fact that what you're doing is right for you and your, your body is a product of that. Mm-hmm. And that there's nothing wrong with your body. Mm -hmm. What's wrong is the way that the world views your body and the way that you've 
been taught to view your body. You know, the deeper you get into that, um, the more compassion you will have for those conversations and those comments, but it's really hard early on. And um, I often recommend that people don't get into major debates about it early on um, because they're typically not ready to get into a debate about it. And it can actually make things a lot worse. And also why spend your energy on people who may or may not want or even be ready for that conversation? Yeah, I think think that's the major thing. I think they just wouldn't be receptive. Yeah, sometimes what I'll do is just ask a question, you know, mm-hmm. like if I'm feeling really motivated or pulled, like kind of like you did with your with your partner, right? Like, mm-hmm. I wonder why it is you feel that way about your body or like, you know, if, if another woman's making a comment about our body, I wonder why you're feeling like that about your body. And, you know, whatever they say, regardless of what they say, to me, what's really powerful is just asking a question because asking a question implies that there's a different way to see it. Yeah. That makes sense. And most people have never, ever, ever heard or entertained the thought that there's a different way to approach their body other than trying to restrict control and, and lose weight. Yeah. Cause that's, that's the narrative, you know, that's what women are supposed to do. Yeah. I <laughs> early in my practice, or, well, I shouldn't say early in my practice, early in my practice as I was shifting full time into this work, you know, like in the early days of me doing more and more of this in my general naturopathic practice, um, I really started to shift when someone would come in and say, okay, I need to lose weight instead of just being like, okay, yes, blah, 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 blah. (laughs) Um, I would say, okay, why, why, (laughs) why do you Mm -hmm. think regardless of their size, you know, why, why do you think And just asking the question would really freeze a lot of people up because it felt to them like, isn't it so obvious? Why? Of course. I'm like, no, it's not obvious, actually. It's not Mm -hmm. obvious at all. And so, um, yeah, I think that those conversations, like I said, they can and will be triggering. And for me, um, the tool with those, especially in the beginning, is just to remind yourself when you think about those two palms, mm-hmm. <laughs> when you think about one palm holding all of the positive aspects and benefits and feelings, and the other palm being ongoing judgment, external or external, it's like, what do I want to be more loyal to here? Yeah, it's got to, I have to choose at yeah. this point. I'm like at that crossroad. This is the choice. Do yeah. I, do I actually want to accept my body and move forward. Yes. And if you do, then that's where the work starts. Because again, most people haven't actually put in the work. They'll say, I can't accept my body, but they they haven't actually tried. They've really only ever tried changing their body. Yeah. I know it's, it's harder to go against the norm. Totally. And so there's, um, you know, just like sort of pulling this together a little bit, Mm -hmm. There's, um, you know, that choice is, is the number one choice that needs to be made in all of us. You're holding up these two palms. They're both going to exist, right? Mm -hmm. The internal world, the intuitive eating, the trust, and then there's going to be this other set of feelings, which is like internal, internal judgment, shame, and guilt that we've learned to, to place on our food and our body and the external realities of how other people are judging and seeing our bodies. And this choice 
to be most loyal to what you know is good for you is the against the grain, super challenging choice to make. And then once you've made that, it's like, how do I live more and more of my life from this place, from that place? And it's not going to be perfect, right? Mm -hmm. There's always going to be a little bit of this like push and pull and toggle. And so, um, you know, again, like the, the working from the outside in, so putting in a little bit of work, if it's something that is important to you and feels good to you mm-hmm. to find clothes that you feel good in, like physically and also from a style point of view, yeah. finding people who can be an example of that for you to hold space for you and hold the energy for you in the moments when you need it and when you can't hold it for yourself. Mm-hmm. And then, and then continuing to do the internal work of questioning why, why you feel so bad about your body, your very, you know, overall healthy, functioning, in a good place, happy, stable human body. Like, what are the forces that are encouraging you to crap all over that? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I, I think of that all the time. I'm just like, I just... Like, I want these voices to leave me alone. Like, stop telling me that my body doesn't look like it should or that it doesn't fit a standard. Like, I don't want to give that any space. Right, right. And and then slowly, you know, you become, you know, slowly you need, you know, less and less of the expanders or the other people. And, and, and slowly you work your way into, you know, this is ideally being your own being your own example, the own, your own leader in this. And that's all ideal for some people. They stop at certain points along the way and that's just good enough. Mm-hmm. You know, like there are different, there's different results and different endpoints for every person. I love to hold up the ideal because I think it's reachable and it's possible for a lot of people. Um, but there's also nothing wrong or nothing abnormal about having to work at body image over the whole course of your lifetime. Yeah, I think that's probably very true. I don't think there's ever going to be a time where I'm not going to think about it once in a while because there's so or, many messages. Or, or see a photo of yourself that you don't like mm-hmm. and be like, I mean, that's true of anyone, right? Yeah. And so for me, the big difference is like, you can have a bad hair day, you can see a photo of yourself and not like it. It's just how much do you allow that to affect your overall sense of worth or value in the world? Mm-hmm. And how much do you allow it to pull you away from caring for yourself in a kind, respectful, loving manner? Yeah. Yeah, a lot to digest. A lot to digest, yeah. Yeah. Okay. I do you have any other like questions or like do you need more tangibles or where are you at at the moment? Honestly, your palm example is I'm re- I really relate to that. I I can see myself doing that in my head. You know, I've got this one this one side of me that is saying like I don't want to go down that road. I've been there. I know what it feels like. I know that I wasn't happy and I don't want to do that anymore. And so it really, it really makes sense for me to see that in my mind, to think like, these are all of the benefits that I'm already experiencing. And all I have to do is keep going down that way. Mm -hmm. And to me, it's like that cost. I always talk about like cost benefit analysis, right? And it's like, 
okay, so this other palm is the external judgment. And like, I could decide to work toward reducing the negative feeling in that palm, mm -hmm. but what am I going to have to give up? What's the cost of that? The cost is going down a road you don't want to go down, dieting yeah. your body again, trying to force yourself to exercise in a way that doesn't feel good to you, going back into the restriction binge cycle. Like it just, all of a sudden when you lay it out so clearly, it's sort mm -hmm. of like the reality is if I want to treat myself well and exist in a more peaceful, easeful, if not perfect, but peaceful mm -hmm. and easeful place with food in my body, I can't do that again. Mm -hmm. That's just the reality, yeah. right? So yeah. what's the next step? Okay, well, you know what? I've got a dress that I really like that feels good on me and I feel good in, so I'm just going to put it on mm -hmm. and I'm going to do that rebellious, crazy thing where I just walk out into the world exactly as how I am and people can judge or think what they want and I'm just going to live my life anyway. Yeah, yeah. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be practicing that. I'm going to be reminding myself a lot that, especially when summer comes, you know, and of course, you show more, you end up showing more of your body and that's always hard, but I'm going to work really hard in the summer to make sure that I am um, being kind to myself. Yeah. And there will be moments, there'll be situations, there'll be seasons that bring up those negative feelings. Like mm -hmm. you are more exposed in the summer, in the warmer mm -hmm. months. And so yeah. that palm of external judgment gets bigger and feels stronger. It doesn't mean that you have to change though. Yes. It just means you have to ride a bigger wave. Yes. Right. You just have to ride it and it, it won't last forever. And what could I do now? What baby step could I take to just ease that a little bit? Mm -hmm. And again, we use, we use the example of dressing today. It could be a lot of different things. Like movement is something that feels good to you. You know, yes. um, what could I say to myself? What, what short, sweet, but effective mantras do I have to remind myself of like what I want to be most loyal to and what the work is here? Yeah. I, I know a big thing for me is I always remind myself that like I have a daughter and I don't want her to grow up thinking that there's something wrong with her body or that there's, I think there's something wrong with my body. I, I never want to give her that impression. And I know that's a big, that's a good that's a big force. Yeah, it's a huge motivation. I think that was one of the main ones when I started um, to not diet anymore was I don't want my, I don't want my daughter to have an issue with food. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, it's so big. It's so powerful. It's such, it's such a strong motivating factor when we can't, again, like, remember why we're doing it for ourselves. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Because I want her, to, I want her to be happy in her body. Mm -hmm. And so I, I think would, the, yeah. Sorry, sorry. Oh, I was just going to say, I think the big thing here is, um, or the big takeaway for, for you, and this is just one step along the way, but just recognizing that these two palms of feeling and experience and existence both exist mm -hmm. and they're going to both continue to exist. And, um, that's not a bad thing. It's just a reality. And mm -hmm. how do you just keep working from the inside out and sometimes from the outside in mm -hmm. to, to, live more and more and more in the palm of being connected to your body and feeding yourself and nourishing yourself and moving yourself from a place of joy and allowing your body to exist wherever it exists within that place. Thank you again for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed that session. That was session eight 
of this new series called Sessions. And next week is session nine. And that's going to be the final session before um, I pretty much wrap up for the summer. I'm going to do one more session that's a Q&A slash commentary on these one-on-one conversations. If you have any questions or comments about any of the sessions that I've done, if something interested you or you want more information or you have a question about something or you need clarification, feel free to email me hello at foodfreedombodylove.com. I would love to hear your questions, comments, feedback, um, and I'd love to include them in that sort of wrap-up session before I wrap for the summer. I hope you're all doing well. I hope you're safe and healthy and managing yourself through this uh, coronavirus pandemic time and um, just all the best to you. Take care.